This is Sean Malone in Los Angeles, California, and you're listening to The Camera Report. Man on Fire, Gone in 60 Seconds, Swordfish, Deja Vu, Collateral. If you've seen any of these titles, then you've seen the work of this month's guest, Director of Photography, Paul Cameron ASC. His interest in photography started with a Polaroid camera when he was just 15 years old, and his journey from taking Polaroid pictures as a kid to the images he now captures for Hollywood's most noteworthy directors is one worth taking in. You can do just that at his website, paulcamerondp.com, and you'll see what I mean. As a side note, you might want to take a look at some of Paul's TV commercials as well. You may have missed some on your boob tube that are just incredibly shot. Paul's latest film is Total Recall, a brand new reimagining of Philip K. Dick's 1966 short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. With images worthy of the Philip K. Dick cinema tradition, and as stark as any you'll see on the screen this summer, Total Recall is a feast for the science fiction lover's eyes. And we're here talking with the man who shot the movie. Paul, thank you for joining us today. No problem. Good to be here. The first trailer for Total Recall really just blew me away. It's so visually spectacular. And I wanted to ask you, how has the design and the execution of this film looked different, if at all, from other films that you've shot? Well, I think... You know, Total Recall is a you know, it's a very big world visually. It's based on the Philip K. Dick story. We remember it for wholesale, and it's kind of coming from a lineage of large Philip K. Dick films like Blade Runner and Minority Report. So, you know, there, there's a scale to the film and scale to the world that the film exists in that, that's quite comprehensive. And from the moment I signed on board with Len Wiseman and, and met with, uh, it was quite apparent it was a pretty massive film visually and. So that was the challenge, yeah. So speaking of which, can you talk about the development of the film's unique visual world? Like any film, you start with you know discussions with the director and you come up with a kind of a visual plan. And there was so much conceptual art in the beginning that it's actually tied all the way through to the end, which is pretty amazing to see that you know some of the actual first images are the images I'm seeing on the screen right now. So it begins with the director and a production designer and goes all the way through discussions with Adrian DeWitt, who was from DNAG, who handled all the visual effects. He start up designing a visual world and, and uh, think about all the layers and all the realities that are going to be added later. In an effects-heavy film like this, who makes that final decision about what's actually photographed, what's not, and then how to shoot it on set, or is it a team effort? It's very much a team effort, and you know the first thing is conceptualizing, and and Len and Patrick did an amazing job at that. And the practical nature of going out and scouting the film and trying to figure out how to utilize locations in as much practical world as possible. That's was the approach from the beginning, and even more specifically with Len, the planning. We said, how do we do the least amount of green screens? How do we keep it as real as possible? And how did you do that? Well, you know, we looked for you know, the best possible locations that, for instance, there's a location called the United Federation of Britain Terminal. It's like a subway terminal for a ship that travels through the center of the earth where, you know, basically Colin and, and his co-workers come to work every day through the center of the earth. So we look for a massive concrete location that had very formidable structure, kind of postmodernist architecture. And, you know, we found this one great location Roy Thompson Hall, which is a concert hall in the center of Toronto. And basically the rule of thumb there is we're going to use everything on the ground would be practical and then everything above the certain concrete line would be visual effects. 
So then uh, similarly, there was the University of Toronto, which was used for the colony terminal, which in the colony is the world down below where Colin and the co-workers live. And, you know, that is an amazing location with multi-layered concrete embankments. So that, you know, that kind of a location was challenging because we had to go in and, and basically custom attach green screens of parts of the building that we weren't going to utilize in the final composites. But for the most part, we use like 90% of that location practically. But this is kind of a, a rule of thumb for the whole film, leading up to even sequences like a car chase, which traditionally we'd stick a couple people on the Apple boxes on the green screen, and then they'd go through the movements, and then we'd add the CG car world around it. Here, you know, Len said there's absolutely no way we're going to shoot this for real. And so that meant manufacturing six hover cars, you know, with somebody's seen hover cars and played Leonard Minardi report before, but Len, you know, he took this, the concept of the hover car much further and, you know, he wanted this very practical high-speed uh, chase sequence. So, again, you know, we manufactured six of these hover cars that go on these gimbals on high-speed chassis. So you can picture uh, a high-speed chassis with one guy strapped in driving, another guy strapped in operating the gimbal, and in the center of the chassis, there's a gimbal that goes up to a hover car with the main actors in a hover car. So you put six of those out on an airfield and, and you shoot it traditionally like a traditional car chase and then map the CG over it. So that was kind of, you know, it's an approach that's not unique, but it was unique to say we're going to do the entire sequence like that. And even some of the larger CG shots, like aerial shots and whatnot, we shot those practical. We shot a car chase element on an airfield, and then we also did additional shots matching the camera movement as best as possible in downtown Toronto, so that they could actually map see the you know the futuristic CG world over Toronto and add the car chase in the frame as well. So it was a good formula. A lot of the chase is practical when you see it, and. I think when it comes to acting and performance, when you've got these two hover cars crashing against each other, we did that all for real. We're driving, crashing these cars, Kate Beckinsale on one and Colin Farrell and Jessica Biel on the other. And it, it makes it real, you know. And it, it was a challenge, but it, it was definitely a good formula. And Len and I set that formula very early on and carried it through. You already mentioned that there's references to Blade Runner. And visually, I caught several little scenes in the trailer of, you know, sort of references to Jordan Cronenweth's work. And I wanted to ask you about that. I understand you know his son, Jeff. Blade Runner is an incredible looking film, and Jordan Cronenweth is for sure one of the top directors of photography ever, and uh, has been a major influence. All of his films have been a major influence on me. So, you know, walk into a film like Total Recall and have a reference like Blade Runner, it was a bit daunting. <laughs> so, Right. Long story short, there's elements of Blade Runner that also, like we mentioned, that also exist in Total Recall, which is this kind of futuristic Asian community. There's thematic similarities, and then there's, you know, uh, by nature, visual similarities. And in terms of lighting style, Jordan's been such a big influence on me from day one that I can't avoid 
you know, whether it's uh, similar techniques that he did on, on a lot of his films, I think I've just employed into my style throughout my career, and it's, it's just unavoidable. Their similarity is great. <laughs> I can only hope to be on a level, you know, photographically that he was on a Blade Runner or any of his films. It's a little bit like telling a composer that uh, they sound like Mozart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Jordan, was a, he was a true, true artist. And, you know, now his son is, is also a true artist, working with Fincher and Michelle Gondry and shooting incredible work, too. And, you know, Jeff is an influence on me as well, still. Well, admittedly, that's one thing that really blew me away about the Total Recall trailers. I've never seen a film pay homage to that Blade Runner look successfully before. And obviously, the film in its entirety doesn't represent that, but in parts, you have definitely succeeded at that. Well, John, thanks. I appreciate it. It uh, it wasn't a conscious choice to do anything like Jordan did on Blade Runner, for sure, but it's kind of unavoidable and these incredible sets and with incredible textures and you know, how to light it, how to bring it alive, you know, so, uh, if there's similarities, then I'll be it. Speaking of references, did you and the director, Lynn Wiseman, look at the 1990 Schwarzenegger film at all? Did you reference it? No, I think, you know, when it came to the original Total Recall, it was, it was, um, we weren't really running out to review it, you know, because I think it's, you know, you look back at it, it's got its own unique structure as a film, and it's lasted through the time, you know, um, on screen, people know the movie, they're aware of the movie. I don't think, you know, it wasn't, it didn't have any visual benchmark for me at the time. So it wasn't something we really wanted to look at um, in reference in any way. And I think also just, you know, not to be uh, judgmental, but it's also uh, thematically, it was, our film is so different and the, and the you know, the storyline is so different. It was more about reading Philip K. Dick, you know, but we can remember it pretty wholesale and try to, you know, stay tuned into the, you know, to the content of the, of the current film. I read that you shot Total Recall in the Red Epic. What are your thoughts about the preservation of films shot digitally during this time of technological transition? And do you worry about your work's survival throughout time, given, like, the, the current uh, issues with, you know, transitioning to digital and preserving uh, Yeah, that's a good that question, Sean. I mean, it, I think the overall worry is, you know, preservation, digital preservation. It's very different now when, when you're shooting and, you, you know, you see your work comes out of the camera in a little card that resembles a, a cellular phone and then goes down the digital workflow train. It's, it's much different than watching them pull a mag off a camera. The good news about preservation on a film like this or any film shot digitally that is also getting printed is we are making a, a certain number of IMAX prints, so that'll require you know, a 65 millimeter inner negative. So there will be a piece of negative that actually will record the film out and it will survive on a piece of celluloid, which is probably, uh, that's probably the best news about it. In terms of the whole digital workflow thing, it's, you know, I can only equate it to this. It took some hundred years to get to a very elegant place and to reach such uh, a strong technological Force. It's truly an amazing, amazing format. And now this transition to digital cinematography is bringing up the, you know, more questions of preservation and digital workflow. And it's difficult because it's the birth of a new medium in a lot of ways. And it's the expectation is that it's all in place and that it's okay. It's okay to shoot digitally. And then it's somehow it's all. But then I don't know about you. When it 
I've plugged in many hard drives uh, that have had photographs or my work on it from the past, and I can't get the hard drives to work, and I can't get the data retrieved, so it's very very disconcerting on one level to think that we're archiving things digitally, but it's also positive on the other uh, other side, knowing that we're going to have, you know, both 35 and 65 millimeter digital internegatives that'll save the preservation aspect of it. Forgive me if this is a cheesy or over-enthusiastic question, but what is the most exciting thing about your job, about being a cinematographer? The most exciting thing about being a cinematographer is that you're constantly challenged with every aspect of everything you know, everything you've expected, everything you wish for, you know, and you, you arrive every day, and it's a, it's a new set of challenges. You know, one level that you plan for happens, and then all these new things occur, and it's a, it's a forum, it's a place that I feel very comfortable in creating images, lighting and shooting extreme images with, with a group of very, very talented people, from directors to actors to visual artists visual effects artists, you know, this ability to be an artist in a very collaborative realm. All I can say is, listen, I just finished the DI for Total Recall, the color timing, and, you know, I'm sitting there looking at shots that I did that had no visual effects, thrilled with the lighting and the composition and how they came out, and then it cuts to one of the few full CG shots in the film, and it's just stunning, and it marries, I feel like I lit it. Somehow... My influence on the film as a director of photography, my lighting style, my visual style, you know, to see it reflected in a big computer-generated image, it's beyond satisfying. Speaking of your style, you have a very unique and beautiful style that seems to come partly out of an appreciation for noir and expressionism. Am I on base with that? Yeah, I mean, it's really... I like, you know, very dramatic photography and lighting, you know, and I like expressive imagery and I'm always challenged to kind of layer an image as much as possible with style, but doing so trying to service the story as much as possible. And that's one side of it. And the other side of it is any artist or painter or anybody, you do something for long enough and you, you kind of repeat the same things on one level. And I think the other difference, you know, for me is I've always been searching and I try to find myself over and over in the material again and try to reinvent myself and my work and style. So hopefully there is some kind of progression there. You talked about layering the image. Can you describe what you mean by layering the image? You know, it's everything. It's a combination of where you put the camera, how you move it, what's happening, you know, with characters and faces and, you know, emotions on the screen and to put in a light cue or a, a subtle light cue or a change in light or camera movement in the scene and make it invisible so that you don't notice all the layers. If you look at some of the behind the scenes, see like a bit of a dance, you know, with the camera movement, people maybe light changing and people holding flags and netting something as we're going and then characters turn and we handhold the light to fill the eyes. It comes from experience just kind of stretching and, and layering, you know, layering. It's also knowing in a film like this where you're at and where, where things are going to get. You go with you know, the CG down the road. It's simple on many levels and complex on many levels. Well, we talked a little bit about your predecessors, or at least one in particular. Who among your peers do you really admire and see as standard bearers for your profession? Hopefully people say this throughout history, but you know, I really feel blessed now because we're in a time of there's so many talented directors of photography. 
fortunately, are, are peers and friends, you know, and I mean, it's, I see the work of people like Maddie Labatique and, and Molly Fister and Jeff Cronowatt and Helen Kouris and Emmanuel Lebeski and, you know, the, the list is just endless. To be able to have, for me, to have the opportunities I had to shoot the films I'm shooting and have friends and associates also, you know, shooting films on a similar level. And then, you know, we're, we're able to interact and talk, exchange emails and phone calls and see each other in occasional screening and exchange ideas. And it's an incredibly exciting time that way. It's, and also the AFC has is, is kind of got a new vitality now and people are exchanging much more information and it's more of a social time than ever, I think. And it's, it's exciting, you know, because visually everybody is just going beyond every movie. It's just incredible to see everything from photographic styles to visual effects. And, you know, it's constantly surprised in a great way by my peers. And I'm very thankful for that. From reading a little bit about you, it seems you were very proactive in your early days breaking into the industry. I wanted to know, can you talk about the importance of this, how to be proactive, and maybe without being annoying, or is that even possible? There is a fine line being proactive and annoying, and I think for me what worked in the past is I kind of stepped forward into what I needed to do all along during my career, and I I recommend that to anybody is to just believe in themselves and take that step forward and don't make decisions unless you have to for, you know, financial reasons, you know, whatever you can do to kind of stay true to what you want to do and believe in yourself and kind of put yourself in that position to do that. Can one run the risk of being annoying? For sure. You know, I'll tell you, it's like a, a simple story. Even was there was a guy, I was shooting Deja Vu in New Orleans we were downtown in New Orleans, and Denzel Washington was there in security, and, you know, they're keeping every police line, keeping everybody out of the set, and, you know, it was a big deal. And all of a sudden, I get a tap on my shoulder, and I look around, and uh, I see a young gentleman saying, hey, my name is Brighton, Brighton Lynch, and I'm, uh, I wanted to meet you. Hi. Uh, and I'm like, how did you get through all this? He's like, I, I recognize you from a couple magazines, so I just I want to walk up and study cinematography. I want to talk to you, and i so I sat, there, I sat there and I talked to him. And long story short, I brought Brighton for a series of commercials the following summer. I did with Tony Scott, and he mentored me. You know, or I mentored him. Well, he mentored me. Let's say that as well. Um, <laughs> and that was a good thing. You know, the guy reminded me of myself. You got to stretch. You got to get out there and push yourself and put yourself in a position to move forward, and it'll pay off. Well, you may have touched on this already, but I asked this question of all my guests. What's the best advice that you can offer new or young cinematographers? I think the best advice is every day of shooting is a good day. And you can't think about what you're shooting necessarily or related to where you want to be. Just go out there and do the work and get the day done and then move for the next day. And take every day as a challenge that way and look at the material however banal it might seem or senseless take it seriously and, and and do everything you can possibly do to elevate every moment that you shoot and that will pay off you know because inevitably you will attract the work you want to do and when you finally shoot the work you want to shoot then you know you'll have a discipline down of, of, because every day you know you may not want to shoot something or you may not want to take something seriously but if you take every shot, every moment as seriously as possible, 
and look at it as an opportunity, hope this point for the future so that when you're in very extreme situations, shooting very expensive movies where there's a lot going down and you have to make a lot of decisions very quickly, you will train yourself to stick with the material and stick to yourself and, and make decisions you know, that way and it'll pay off. Well, Paul, it's been a pleasure to be able to speak with you today and learn from such a talented cinematographer. I enjoyed every minute of it. Well, thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. And uh, wish everybody the best out there. And, uh, we'll see. Let me know what you think of the movie. Yeah. Can't wait to see it. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Our thanks again to Paul Cameron ASC for joining us today. And our thanks to you, as usual, for downloading this episode of The Camera Report, produced by Brad Malone and Sean Malone. For more episodes of The Camera Report, please visit waterfootfilms.com and click on the podcast link. Subscribing is easy and free. Also, search for Waterfoot Films on Facebook and then like us to see updates. If you'd like to offer feedback about the show or just want to contact us, email us, podcast at waterfootfilms.com. I'm Sean Malone. Thanks for listening.